When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. And what the hell was that? My main impression coming out of, I think the wackiest week of the NFL season so far, a crazy week, six Sunday, the two remaining unbeatens in the NFL go on the road and go down at the hands of much maligned quarterbacks, the biggest favorite of the weekend, the Buffalo Bills come down to a last gasp untimed down against the lowly Giants. I feel every week we do this thing where we say any given Sunday, the games aren't played on paper. And we always forget that. Here we are. It felt like a, a, a weekend straight out of college football. I think if this was college, I think you would have seen a few field stormings. Let's start it out in Buffalo. We'll get to the other stuff. Crazy, crazy Sunday. Sunday night football, an ugly, ugly, forgettable game. Let's not oversell it as some kind of classic. The Buffalo Bills outlast the New York Giants in insane fashion, 14 to nine. Let's, let's just, let's get down to the nitty gritty of it. The the New York Giants with a backup quarterback to Rod Taylor replacing the injured Daniel Jones in this game. They drive all the way down into the Buffalo red zone with time expiring. A DPI puts them on the goal line where they get an untimed down. They throw it to Darren Waller pass broken up some controversy about maybe there should have been a flag. We'll get to it, but they fall short passes incomplete. Giants fall to one and five bills improved to four and two in a silly, silly game. I think the the one thing I want to highlight here and the one thing that's going to stick with me is the New York Giants having chances at the end of each half to get in the end zone and blowing both of them in spectacularly different fashion. Rewind to the first half looks shockingly similar to the end of the game. The Giants get down to the goal line with 14 seconds to play. No timeouts Terod Taylor audibles to a run play, which head coach Brian Dable has made sure to tell us lest anyone think he might be at fault. Brian Dable making sure we know Terod Taylor calls a run. They get stuffed. They go to halftime without getting any points. Fast forward to the end of the game and untimed down after a DPI. It's funny. I'm sitting there thinking you have Saquon Barkley. You wound up in a five week contract standoff with the guy because he didn't think he was worth enough. Give him the damn ball. 
but who am I to criticize when you ran it at the end of the first half and it blew up in your face? So maybe the pass, not a bad call, a little delayed, almost, almost like a jump pass, a little delayed pass to Darren Waller. Like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of talk in the New York area today and for a few days, probably about whether Bill's DB Teron Johnson either held or interfered with Darren Waller. I don't want to criticize the referees too harshly, but part of me wonders if they were a little worried about the response from the Buffalo crowd. If they throw back to back penalties in the end zone in Buffalo in a do or die situation. Yeah. Can't say I'm super surprised. They, they uh, left the flag in their pockets. Bill's sneak out of here with a wacky little win. Didn't need to be that stressful. Josh Allen and Dawson Knox had a chance to put this thing on ice a couple minutes prior. Couldn't quite connect on a third and eight. Josh Allen says after the game, he, he banged up his shoulder a little bit in the second quarter. Maybe that explains why the Bills offense accounted for 14 points and every single one of them looked incredibly hard earned. Bills didn't score in the first half. It's the first half in six 60 halves. So let's say 30 games. It's the first time in 30 games the Bills have been shut out in a half of football. Just goes to highlight the struggles. And we're just getting started. As I mentioned, two unbeatens go into week six on Sunday. The San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles, they both lose. Let's get you down to MetLife Stadium for the second upset. The Philadelphia Eagles lose their first game of the season, 20 to 14 to the New York Jets. I'm joined now by the guys who called the game, our guys, Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez. And guys, this would have been an impressive enough game from the New York Jets regardless. You force four takeaways, you hold the mighty Eagles to 14 points, but this defense did it without Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, their top two cornerbacks, don't even play in this game. We know they're a good defense, but this was an exceptional effort. What did you see from the Jets that, that allowed them to limit the Eagles like this? I mean, yes, they won the opener when Aaron Rodgers went down, but for a while it looked like this might be a lost year with that injury. Far from it, Mark. They're now 3-3. Three and three. Well, listen, winning covers a lot of warts. I think there's going to be some difficult film to watch after this on both sides. But for the Jets, you got to celebrate this. you got to be excited about it because one side of the ball played really, really well. Your special teams kept you in the game as well. The field position battle was won. But on offense, it's been the same story the last couple weeks. This red zone has got to turn around. They were, gosh, one for four in the red zone. And the one time they scored, the Eagles offense or defense let them score. So they got to pick that up if they want to sustain wins and uh, be in this thing till the end. This, this can't be the, the formula for success week after week. On the Eagles side of things, you know, both unbeatens go down today. You look at how San Francisco lost and you say, you know, maybe you can build from this. And I would assume it's the same thing about the Eagles, except the injury issues in Philadelphia really start to concern me. What do y'all think about what you saw and, and can they sustain these losses? Well, I mean, that's the difficult question that Coach Sirianni and the Eagles are going to have to answer in the weeks ahead because it doesn't get any easier for the Eagles in the next month with their schedule. And they have taken some significant hits from a roster depth standpoint. But, I mean, today the turnovers were such yeah. a huge part of how this game unfolded. And the turnovers go back to some of those injuries, right? The right side of the line of scrimmage, Lane Johnson out. Uh, Jalen Hurts has to get on the edge. 
constantly and constantly extend these plays. Now you're getting out of rhythm as an offense. You're not running plays. You're just running around, running lines on a field and trying to play a little bit of street ball, a little backyard football going on, and that's an exhausting way to play. Jalen Hurts did it for a period of time, but when they forced him to stay in the pocket and beat you with his arm, that's where the Jets' defense came up big. So they got plenty to work on in Philly. All is not lost for either side. I mean, that offense stayed in it no matter what. So with Jalen Hurts, you got a chance. Two unbeatens entering the day. They both are touchdown favorites. They both go down. That's just life in the NFL, I guess. Guys, I appreciate the time so much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. I asked that question about the Eagles injuries for a very specific reason. It's because they are really starting to pile up in Philadelphia. It's been a theme all year and it got worse this week. Darius Slay and Jalen Carter don't play against the Jets. Lane Johnson leaves the game early. You might remember him as the best right tackle in football, the guy that hasn't allowed a sack in almost four years. As good as they might be, it starts to add up when you don't have as many quality guys as this. Avante Maddox is another guy that's down. Reed Blankenship, starting safety. Cam Jurgens, your starting right guard. I'm not saying anybody should feel sorry for the Eagles. I get it. The Jets were without their starting cornerbacks. The Jets don't have Aaron Rodgers. This stuff happens in the NFL, but when you're talking about the Eagles as a contender, a team that we expect to be there at the end of the year, and I still do, don't get me wrong, they're you know, they're five and one. Let's not overreact. But it compounds when it starts to affect the way that a, a Super Bowl NFC favorite can play football. Like Mark just pointed out, Jalen Hurts was running for his life all day. The pocket wasn't there. He's having to extend plays. He's having to force things. He's not used to doing that. It's it's going to be a very interesting proposition for the Eagles if these injuries affect the way that they prefer to play. Remember, the Eagles barely had to play from behind all of last season. If this if these injuries go on and and some of them are substantial, hopefully they're not. They're not. But if they are, it affects the way that you can dictate a game script. That's that's what the Eagles like to do. It looked like they were going to do it in this game. We were joking while the game was wrapping up. Eagles go up 14 to three and you're thinking to yourself, all right, here's where they lean on things with the run game. They play ball control. They hold on to the ball for 25 minutes in the second half like they did against the Rams last week. And it just didn't happen. Some of it was bad luck. Some of those turnovers, incredibly bad luck, but four turnovers, not going to win you very many ball games in the NFL. And as Kevin alluded to, you got some teams coming up that you're not going to be able to dictate the game script quite as well as the Eagles have been used to. You got the Dolphins next week. Dallas is on the horizon and the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills are after that. It's about to be a brutal stretch. Again, nobody feels sorry for you if you're missing starters due to injury because that's life in football. But I do think it changes the calculus of what the Eagles are capable of. I don't know that they are the same team. No, not that I don't know. They aren't the same team without a guy of, of Lane Johnson's caliber starting at right tackle, protecting the pocket and helping them just lean on people in the run game. Eagles didn't crack four yards per carry today. Jalen Hurts, you get into a situation where you're forced to pass or you don't have as much time as you're used to and you see the results. So we're not overreacting and we're not necessarily feeling sorry for the Eagles because these are problems all teams have to weather. But it is a little bit of adversity that we aren't used to from this team. They have been able to dictate the terms of games 
throughout the last year and a half. And it wasn't the case today. And it might not be the case moving forward, depending on how severe these injuries are. Now, not to make the focus too entirely on the Eagles. I mean, it is a story that the last unbeaten team in the NFL went down, but man, what a, what a win for the Jets. And I, I can't get over the fact that you do it without players of the caliber of, of Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. Like I said, everybody's dealing with injuries. Not a good enough excuse. Quincy Williams, CJ Mosley, Jets pass rush dominated this game. And yes, part of that is because Lane Johnson went out. But you hit Jalen Hurts five times. You sack him three times. Four tackles for loss. Jermaine Johnson with three pass breakups. This was the Jets defense we were promised. And I'm sure it's bittersweet for New York knowing what this team might look like if Aaron Rodgers had stayed healthy. Because what you go, I mean, you go through, they allow 23 points against the Chiefs. They allow 22 points or excuse me, 16 points and get a win against the Bills. They allow 14 points to the Eagles. This is a defense that is capable of shutting down the very, very best teams in football. Even the score against Dallas looks lopsided. But if you watch that game, you know, the Cowboys had to earn every single point that they got. Probably bittersweet, but also on the bright side, incredibly impressive and surprise, and I would say surprising that they they dig out of a one and three hole. They're at five hundred. They've already got a win over the Jets. If the defense is capable of playing like this, I'm sorry, I'm still not thinking you're capable of winning the division. Not with Miami doing what they're doing in the AFC East, but the Jets shouldn't be an easy out for anybody that plays them the rest of the way. They've. Uh, Bills, Chiefs, and Eagles, they've played arguably the three most complete teams in football outside of, I guess, San Francisco. And the schedule actually lightens up a little bit. There's some very winnable games in their future. So a lot of talk on this podcast, too. I'm guilty of it as well. A lot of talk burying the Jets, talking about get a quarterback by any means necessary. I don't think anybody's confusing Zach Wilson for a pro bowler, but you have to give the guy credit that the last three games have been winning winnable efforts at least. And they've gotten two in a row, one of them against one of the best teams in the league. So good on you, New York Jets. It's not all just about Philly's shortcomings and should we be panicked about them? It's very impressive to see just how much turmoil was surrounding this team in the first few weeks of the season and how they've managed to rebound from it. I'll be interested to see in a market that big and, and with the Giants struggling, how do you handle people praising you and talking about how great you are? Lord knows that hasn't happened to the Jets very often in recent history, but they actually get the New York Giants in two weeks after their bye. So nice little all New York matchup. I'm interested to see if they can handle the, uh, the back padding and the attaboys as well as they handled the adversity. The Eagles, for the briefest period of time, were the last unbeaten team in the NFL hours before it was the 49ers' turn, hottest team in the league, fresh off of a 42-10 beating of the Dallas Cowboys. They go out to Cleveland and lose 19-17 to the P.J. Walker-led Cleveland Browns, one of the more shocking results of the early season. I'm joined now by Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, our guys in Cleveland. We talked about this heading into the game. How do you slow down the San Francisco 49ers? They're averaging 30 points a game. They're moving the ball at will. The Cleveland Browns didn't just slow them down. They shut the 49ers down. 
What was Cleveland doing, guys, that was working so well against such a powerful offense? Number one, Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel were out for the second half. That, yeah. That's certainly two of your best players. But t- make no, look, Cleveland are the number one defense. You said at the beginning of the game, on paper, they match up well with them. And they did all game long. I mean, they, the second half, the Niners offense was pretty non-existent. Yeah, and, and again, the formula to beating – listen, I don't think this is necessarily a template because very few defenses have – what Cleveland does, elite pass rushers, elite defensive linemen who can win one-on-one run game matchups, and then enough defensive backs and linebackers that they can get up and play man coverage and play bump and run and get up and challenge these skill players that are elite across the board that San Francisco has. So I don't know if it's necessarily a template, but for what the Browns have to work with, we said it. This, If anybody can do it, it's this Browns defense, and they proved it. I'm curious. You know, Brock Purdy finally looking mortal. And and to your point, a couple big injuries contributed to that. But what did you see from him in, in a, you know, a loss, first loss of the season, a game where he struggled more than we're used to, was able to rebound and lead them on a drive to try to win the game at the end? What did what did you see from him in a frustrating performance? Hey, look, I mean, he, he drove him down to win the game, right? You know, Moody missed a 41-yard field goal, which should be nearly automatic in the NFL. But I, I think Kyle Shanahan, we had the discussion with him. It's almost like you want those moments because he hasn't really experienced too many of those to have a chance to grow. You, you want it now better more than when you get in the NFC playoffs. Yeah, and, and I think this is going to be a positive. And yeah. I think it's hard right now for a 49ers fan or whatnot or anybody on the team to say, oh, we're going to – you, you kind of gifted a game away and, and, and end up giving one away for your first loss of the season. But I think long term to play this style, to play in the elements, to play a game where – Frankly, you weren't at your best, and you still put your team in position to have a chance to win. I think that's the storyline for San Francisco coming out. And as you said, Kyle Shanahan would sign up for this in week six as opposed to the divisional or the NFC championship game here in a few months. I think you're absolutely right. I think it'll it'll pay dividends for them in the long run. But for the time being, one of the upsets of the season, big win for the Cleveland Browns. Guys, thanks for the time. I appreciate it. See you, Dave. Appreciate it, Dave. I really like the point Greg and KB make, which is that if you're the Niners, nothing wrong with a wake-up call. Maybe if you're a San Francisco fan, there's there's no good time to get a loss out of the way. I understand that. There's only 17 of these things. It sucks to lose any of them. But adversity, not a bad thing when your quarterback's never faced it. Dealing with a setback, not a bad thing when the entire NFL world has been fawning over you all season. It's just a, a nice chance to reset. This isn't college football where one or two losses can sink your season. One or two losses in the NFL puts you in the conversation to be an amazing, amazing team. I don't think the 49ers should be sweating this. They probably should be sweating the injuries to Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. We'll see how severe those are. It It is, it's ironic, I guess, to me that, you know, we talk so much about how, how much talent they have, how many guys can step up. Ayuk, Kittle, Samuel, McCaffrey, and they still have those guys. But losing two of them in the same game, especially against arguably the best defense in the NFL, can make you look quite normal. And that's what we saw. I think if you're a 49er fan that has some complaints about this, the way this played out, I hear you. Obviously, two big, big penalties on the Browns' final drive that led to the go-ahead field goal. You had the, the defensive holding on Charvarius Ward. You also had the unnecessary roughness there that Greg pointed out. Sure. At the end of the day, was there contact with the receiver's helmet? Yes. Did I think in the spirit of the rule that that should have been a flag? Me? No, I did not. On top of that, if you go back to the first half of this game, as I'm sure 49ers will remind you, P.J. Walker 
if you, I think he got away with a fumble. They called it intentional grounding as he's going to the ground. I guess the refs saw him flick his wrist and they're calling that an incomplete pass. It didn't look like he had total control of what that ball was doing to me. Cleveland almost turns it over inside their own red zone, which would have given the Browns to extend their lead before halftime. Refs wave it off. If you're a Niners fan calling that a bad call, I agree with you. But at the end of the day, as long as these McCaffrey and Debo Samuel injuries aren't too, too severe, I'm not worried about the 49ers in the long run. I think it's a good opportunity to shake yourself off. Five and one is a hell of a run. You keep that pace. You're going to finish with one of the best records in the NFL. Brock Purdy, we talked about it on the hit. Not his, not a not a memorable day at all. In fact, I think his his worst day as a starter, which you're sitting there thinking like, surely he has to have played worse than this at some point during his career. But no, this was it. Flustered by the Browns defense. But I get the point I wanted to make is even if this was the worst game of his career, and even if the drive to get into field goal range wasn't overly impressive, the vast majority of it coming on yak by Brandon Ayuk, even if it wasn't overly impressive, he got you into position to win the game, like KB mentioned. So if that is the worst you're getting from Brock Purdy, you're feeling pretty good about it against this Cleveland Browns defense, which to the flip side of this, let's give the Cleveland Browns plenty of credit. You know, I, I thought to myself that this was a logical letdown spot for the 49ers after that big, big win against Dallas, a, a game you circle on the calendar, a game you focus on for weeks at a time. It makes sense for them to be let down. But I got to be honest, I, I I wrote that off after I saw Deshaun Watson wasn't going to start this game. And it, it's honestly not like P.J. Walker even played that great. Like I said, I think he got away with a fumble. He throws two interceptions. On top of that, some really questionable decision-making down in the red zone at the end of this game where he fires incomplete into the end zone, almost gets picked off, which would have lost the Browns the game. Instead, it falls incomplete, and they manage to kick a go-ahead field goal and hold on to the lead. But... They managed to win this game without great quarterback play. Hold the 49ers to 233 yards of offense. That is the lowest of the Kyle Shanahan era. They haven't had that bad of a day on offense since 2016. That's when Chip Kelly was the head coach and they went two and 14. Yeah, the dark, the dark days. Hard to, re hard to remember or easy to forget that the 49ers had a rough stretch there between Jim Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan. That's what this game evoked. Miles Garrett, absolutely incredible. Cleveland Browns hitting Brock Purdy six times, sacking him another three times. And I, I talked about this with Greg Olson in the preview episode. The Browns actually had the secondary to man up the 49ers and have it go well for them. 125 passing yards for the 49ers. And again, a lot of that was Brendan Ayuk's yak down the middle of the field there on the last drive of the game. Brock Purdy was under 100 yards for the vast majority of this game. Sure, not having Debo Samuel for the second half makes it easier to play man defense, but I don't think you can say enough about what this defense was able to do with all of these different pass-catching options. George Kittle, one catch for one yard. Brandon Ayuk is the only 49ers receiver that went over 50 yards on the day. Conversely, Shout out my guy from Dallas, Amari Cooper, putting up a 108-yard day despite P.J. Walker's struggles. Just a, a gritty win for the Cleveland Browns. We'll see how long Deshaun Watson is out. It's an interesting situation where it looked like it wasn't going to be a problem. Then it's a multi-week problem. As I mentioned earlier, 
the Browns don't have a they they're they've used their bye week. It's it's used up. So no time to rest for Deshaun Watson. No extended breaks. We'll see if he can get back in the lineup. But man, as we've been talking about with this Browns defense, it is good enough. Even if the offense is only passable, the Browns defense is good enough to make them a contender in the AFC. And as if if they can do it against this team, they can do it against damn near anybody. A surprising result because of the quarterback situation, but as you look at the Cleveland Browns defense, maybe not as surprising as a lot of people thought. Clearly, the Cleveland Browns with a big, big win to get back over 500. 49ers will keep an eye on the injury report. Not overly worried about what's ahead for you. Unfortunately, the 49ers, not the only team with injury issues. The biggest theme of the day, other than losses by good teams, was losses of players felt like every game, especially in the early window Sunday involved an injury to, to a starting quarterback, a star player, several of them going down across the league. So let's, let's run through it all. Maybe the biggest one of all, I think a game that not very many people saw, not a very competitive one. Jacksonville Jaguars dispatched the Colts easily, but Trevor Lawrence leaves this game with a knee injury in the last three minutes game already in hand takes a knock on his knee. They're calling it a bruise. Trevor Lawrence said after the game, he thinks he'll be okay. He is going to undergo further testing. Hopefully it's not a big deal. It doesn't sound like something that's going to keep Trevor out for the long term. but keep in mind, this is an especially bad week for Trevor Lawrence to be dealing with this. The Jags are officially on the clock for Thursday night football. They go to new Orleans. That's a short turnaround. We'll, we'll have more information as the week goes along, but short week, not a great week to have your starting quarterback get injured. It would be CJ Bethard up next if he can't go, hoping for the best for Trevor. He was not alone among the starting quarterbacks. Justin Fields exits the Bears 19 to 13 loss to Minnesota with a hand injury. Bears head coach Matt Eberflus said afterwards that his x-rays were negative, but he's undergoing, he'll undergo an MRI. That's going to be a theme, by the way. A lot of MRIs being had by a lot of really talented players. Our own NFL insider, Jay Glazer, reported afterwards that Fields dislocated his thumb and managed to pop it back into place, but he couldn't grip a football well enough to play. Football players, absolutely insane. Uh, Just never allow yourself to forget what these guys put themselves through during the course of a game. Tyson Bajan finished the game for Fields. But they do have Nathan Peterman on their roster. Peterman started a game last year. If Fields is unavailable for this upcoming week, those are the two names to know. We'll see how that goes. Another starting quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, the early game in London. Titans lose a very unremarkable game to Baltimore, 24 to 16. Ryan Tannehill leaves in the fourth quarter with an ankle injury. It's undergoing testing when they get back to the States, but Tannehill was on crutches in the locker room afterward. Not necessarily an indicator. Teams use equipment like that to help guys all the time. Guys will wear walking boots. Guys will use crutches just to keep weight off the injury, but never a good sign to see your QB1 using crutches. I think what makes this particularly interesting is just the options behind Tannehill. Obviously, don't want anybody to be injured, but the Titans do have two highly drafted guys in Malik Willis and Will Levis behind him. We were already speculating that with the way the Titans season is going, one or both of them is probably going to get a shot. Willis finished the game for Tannehill, but Levis is is the exciting young rookie. 
If Tannehill's out for a significant period of time, it's going to be interesting to watch what they do there. One more starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, leaves the Raiders win against New England with a back injury. He was transported to the hospital. Not, not wonderful. Josh McDaniel said they're just doing, doing tests on him. Hopefully it's all just precautionary. Brian Hoyer finishes the game for the Raiders. He did lead them on two field goal drives in the second half. They get the win. Raiders on a two-game win streak. Can't take that away from them. See if it's Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell. If Jimmy does, in fact, need to miss time, hopefully he's all right. I already mentioned the Debo and McCaffrey injuries. Those guys are undergoing MRIs. Hopefully not a lengthy absence for either one. Sounds like it's a high ankle sprain for Eagles right tackle Lane Johnson. Ankle sprains, typically not good news. I just want to remind everyone, though, that Lane Johnson played through a torn abductor last year. So if anybody can gut through an injury, it's probably him. Christian McCaffrey currently accounting for 32% of the 49ers offense. If he does, in fact, have to miss some time, I do think even with all the talent they have, you can't understate how big of a deal that would be. David Montgomery leaves the Lions win in Tampa with a rib injury. Obviously, he's been their workhorse. Jameer Gibbs already dealing with a hamstring injury. He didn't play in that game. So Lions running back depth looking awfully thin if he can't go. I do want to shout out Craig Reynolds. Journeyman backup on the Lions did not have a wonderful day statistically, but go check out his block for Amon Ross St. Brown uh, on St. Brown, St. Brown's catch and run touchdown in that game. Dude put in the work, really impressive performance from him, but I'm sure the Lions hoping that Montgomery and Gibbs are both back sooner rather than later. One last one, and it's the most recent one, a scary situation, Damian Harris for Buffalo being taken to the hospital in the middle of that wild win against the Giants with uh, a reported neck injury. Scary, scary scene. Hopefully just precautionary, wishing the best for Damian as well. Yes, injuries playing, unfortunately, a major role in week six of the season. For all the talk of upsets, not every favorite in the NFL struggled this weekend, as I'm sure fans of the Miami Dolphins and the Detroit Lions would like me to remind you Five, five and one teams in the NFL. Sure. We know all about the Eagles, the Chiefs and the Niners. They've been the model of stability for most of the last five years. But the Detroit Lions go down to Tampa Bay, wax the Buccaneers 20 to six, improve to five and one for the first time since 2011. The Miami Dolphins get out to a slow start against Carolina absolutely pulverize them 42 21 and that's their first five and one start since 2002 so you um, guys y'all have every right to be feeling yourselves in detroit and miami let's get into it ironically miami's afternoon started to look like an upset that's that's what the early indication was the panthers jumped out to a 14 and nothing lead Miami went three and out twice to start the game. I looked this up. They only have 10 three and outs on the season coming into the game. So two in the first quarter, looking sloppy, looking, uh-oh, oh, oh no, this is how upset happen. upsets happen. Ask the 49ers and the Eagles. And then all of a sudden, the Dolphins score touchdowns on five of their next six possessions. That's how quickly it can happen when you have guys like Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell. Tyree Kill. His 12th career game 
with 150 plus yards and a touchdown. Let's just say that puts him in Hall of Fame company. We looked it up. Names like Rice, names like Megatron. Pretty good receiver. Panthers go for it on fourth down four times in this game. They do it twice while the outcome is still in doubt. The Dolphins make them pay with touchdowns both of those times. Miami was down 14 to nothing when the first quarter ended. Midway through the third, they go up 28 to 14. There's plenty of good offenses in the NFL. I don't know if there are any that can score at this ridiculous of a pace. Just literal track stars all over the field. Raheem Mostert, college track star. They lose Devon Achan to IR. No big deal. 49-yard run from him. Big day. 117 yards on the ground. Two touchdowns. think their running game is going to be fine. Dolphins defense did its did its job adequately. They give up the two early scores, but you only need to get a couple of stops to put this offense in really good position. And I, look, I know the Dolphins did lose. They lost handily to a Bills team that just barely survived the Giants. You've got to love this league, but your defense better be on its A game or you'd better not punt. Those are your options when you play the Miami Dolphins because my Lord, are these guys hard to keep pace with? on top of the AFC East after week six. And given the struggles that we've seen right now, if you'd say they're the best team in the NFL, I don't know how you argue with that. Even with a 28-point loss on their resume, the consistency has been impressive all six weeks. Moving down to Tampa, or actually, I guess it would be up to Tampa from Miami. That's how geography works, Dave. The Detroit Lions go to Tampa Bay, Improved to five and one with a 20 to six win. And look, maybe that doesn't sound dominant. I assure you it was on the scoreboard. The lions didn't pull away in this game in the until the third quarter, but from the very get, it never really felt like the Buccaneers had a chance. And that's kind of been a theme. It hasn't looked difficult for the lions in a literal month. They lose to Seattle in overtime in week three. And since then, Detroit has won four straight by an average of two touchdowns. They've held three of their last four opponents to three uh, to less than 300 yards of offense, including Tampa on Sunday. And by the way, this is, we talk about injuries. The lions feel no sympathy for anybody. This has been a team that's been fighting through all kinds of injury issues. Not that you'd know it. Tampa only had three drives in this game that covered more than 20 yards. One of those was at the very tail end of this game when Detroit's just playing prevent. Hey, let's get on the plane. Let's get the hell out of here. Lions looked like they had every answer for the Buccaneers. Buccaneers could do nothing against the Lions defense. Jared Goff. I went into this game thinking Todd Bowles was going to have a, a game plan for him, a way to fluster him, blitz him, and he gets off schedule. Nah, not on Sunday without any semblance of a running game to lean on. Remember, we said David Montgomery left this game. No running game to speak of for Detroit. Goff throws for 353 and two touchdowns. I think his best game of the season in a year where he's been really good. I'm joined now by Daryl Johnston and Adam Amin, who had the call in Tampa. And this all leads me to the question, guys. Are we giving Jared Goff enough credit for what he's doing in Detroit? Dave, it's a good question, right? You need a quarterback in this league. What's Dan Campbell's quote been? you got to have a quarterback, and thankfully we have one. Jared Goff today, another 300-yard passing game. 
it doesn't feel spectacular at all times from golf, but it just seems efficient and at times surgical when you need him to be. Because I think it's tucked inside of a really, really good team performance, complimentary football. We saw it all afternoon here today with the defense, special teams, and the offense for the Detroit Lions complimenting each other. So sometimes that performance of the quarterback get lost in that situation. But we showed you some graphics during the course of the game. On 20-plus yard throws and touchdowns, he's, he's the best over, like, the last, you know, five weeks of the season. So there are some really good things that he's doing that I don't think people are aware of. You know, last week it was eight receivers. This week it was ten yep. receivers. And he's just very efficient in what he does. There's not a lot of splash there, but but I think we have that, that team element around Detroit so much, he's not getting the attention that he probably deserves. That's a fair point. They're 5-1. and one. It's their best 16-game stretch in 60 years. This is uncharted territory for the Detroit Lions, and suddenly you're looking at all the pieces, right? You mentioned 10 different receivers make a play. The defense was dominant, I think, yeah. for the most part today against Tampa Bay, and they were so good on both sides of the ball on third down. Honestly, it feels like games are won and lost on third down in this league, and Detroit won it on third down today. They sure did, and it was an area that Tampa Bay has struggled in. It was something they talked about during the course of the bye week, third and ten especially. A lot of times it's quarterback scrambles. Today it was passes by Jared Goff. Two of the touchdowns on third and ten plus. Yep. Uh, first time in a long time that's happened in the NFL. Yeah, think about that. They're the first team in the league this year to have two touchdowns in a game on third and ten plus. So, again, just a little bit of context for why Jared Goff has been so good and what situations he's been good in. This is a really impressive Lions bunch, and they're not slowing down yet. One of the five-win teams, only a handful of them in the league right now. A couple more games to prove themselves to the NFL. They came down here and played a good Tampa Bay team, and they played well on the road again. That's their third road win this season in three tries. So they've won at KC, Green Bay, and Dave now they get a win in Tampa Bay. If we, if he's under the radar still, I'm just here to tell you he's top five in the NFL in yards. He's top five in the NFL in touchdowns. He's been instrumental in all five of the Lions wins. Adam just pointed it out. The win at Arrowhead still looking like one of the best wins in the NFL so far this season in a year where Jalen Hurts is now, I would say, officially struggling with turnovers after his performance at MetLife Stadium. Kirk Cousins also dealing with turnover issues and the Vikings are two and four. Bears have an ironclad grip on the NFL, or excuse me, the Lions have an ironclad grip on the NFC North right now. Brock Purdy having a wonderful season, as we're all aware, also has an all-world supporting cast helping him. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys off to a very inconsistent start. I'm not telling you Jared Goff is the best quarterback in the NFC, but it's very easy to make the case that that is true, and I hope people are paying attention to what he and the Detroit Lions are doing. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Continuing to move through this week six recap, I'm going to call this segment of the show, I See You. And the point here is we're going to highlight four performances I was really excited about, four teams I thought did something really cool that maybe are going to fly under the radar. We'll start off with the Houston Texans, a favorite of the NFL on Fox podcast so far this season. They outlast the New Orleans Saints 20 to 13 in a game I wouldn't call memorable. But you get the job done, and 
more importantly, CJ Stroud, he finally gets that streak out of the way. He does throw his first interception after 191 attempts, second longest streak to start a career in league history behind Kyler Murray. More importantly, he didn't let that derail derail his game. He throws the pick early on the second possession, still manages to lead the Texans to 20 points in a close win. Catching up now with our team in Houston, Mark Schlereth and Chris Myers. Guys, what do you make of C.J. Stroud's performance in a game like this where he's able to bounce back? So two more touchdown passes, Mark, for C.J. Stroud, the rookie nine in his first six games of his career and uh, against a tough Saints defense today. Got enough to get his team the victory and improving with each game. Yeah, you think about that Saints defense. All three levels have stars on their defense. And then to come off of interception, his first interception of his young career and not even flinch. And I think that was the biggest thing. They completely trust him. The team trusts him. The coaches trust him. And he did not flinch when he threw that interception. He just went right back down the football field, put together a touchdown drive. Texans, uh, even their record, he's a perfectionist. He wasn't perfect today, but it was good enough, Dave, for the Texans and Stroud to move on and have success. Texans improved to 3-3 three and three heading into their bye week. They do trail the Jags and the AFC South standings, but remember... They do have a win over Jacksonville, Houston Texans. I see you. Another one we need to shout out, the Cincinnati Bengals getting the dub against Seattle in a way that we're not used to seeing. It's it's all about Joe and Jamar. It's all about the high-flying offense. Not on this day. Bengals exploded for 34 points last week to beat Arizona. This week, the defense picks up the slack. Defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo and his boys stood tall in the red zone. My gosh. During the course of a Sunday, you know how this goes. There's six games on all the time. You're constantly bouncing between different things. Oh, my God. Touchdown in that game. Wait, where's this? What's going on here? Who's in the red zone? Every time I looked at the Bengals-Seahawks game, it felt like Seattle was in the Bengals red zone. Every single time I thought to myself, well, Seattle's going to score here and they'll retake the lead. And how's Joe Burrow going to respond to that? It never happened. Seattle scored a touchdown in the red zone on their first possession of the day. And they never managed to find the end zone from inside the red zone. Again, they came away empty handed, not even kicking field goals. They come away empty handed three times, obviously none more important, none more dramatic than the Bengals turning away Geno Smith on downs at the very end of the game. Maybe I'm not doing justice to the Bengals defense. To their credit, it has been a huge part of their success, but I think the the league-wide identity is based so much on the offense. I think it's important to see the defense really picking up their end of the bargain here this week against Seattle. I see you, Bengals. But I promise a whole lot more people are about to see you because you're back at 500, but now you get to try to keep the role going at San Francisco. So sneaky this week, not so much next week. We'll see how you do. One more time, I want to, I'll move on and say New York Jets, I see you. Yes, we talked about this already, but I do think when things like this happen, when an upset like this happened, so much of it is in the context of the Eagles and what they did wrong and four turnovers and uh, is Jalen Hurts the guy? Like all that fun stuff that we overreact to on a Monday. The Jets are deserving of a shout out in their own right just for the way they salvaged this thing to, again, lose Aaron Rodgers that early in the season 
looking like you're going nowhere. And now all of a sudden looking like a feisty team that I don't think people would want to play. I do not agree with Robert Sala's assessment that they have embarrassed every quarterback on their schedule. I think maybe that's a little bit of post game adrenaline and just being really fired up for his guys. But it is a very valid point that through six weeks of the season, they've played Buffalo, Dallas, Kansas city, and now Philadelphia. And they're at 500. If you have Aaron Rodgers, you say, yeah, so what? But keep in mind, you got four snaps out of him this season. New York Jets, I see you. I commend you. You are heard. Let's wrap this up with the Los Angeles Rams. I, I can't get enough of this. And it's it's probably a little bit my own bias just because I thought so little of the Rams heading into the season. And shame on me. I don't think I was alone, but maybe I should have thought harder about the fact that the Rams offensive line was so banged up last year. Matthew Stafford was so banged up last year. And I get it. Beating the Arizona Cardinals isn't this huge, huge accomplishment. The Cardinals are one in five, but we know the Cardinals have competed in every game they've played in. We know the Rams were a heavy favorite in this game, and we've seen much better teams than the Rams are struggling in those same circumstances. Rams just very calmly, very efficiently handled business in a no sweat 17 point win against the division rival. They are at 500 after six weeks. Cooper Cup is back, looking like his former self, 148 yards on the day. I just, I, I just, I like the Rams. They're a very fun team. I don't think anybody really thought that would be the case heading into the season. I don't think you can write them out of any game that they're going to play as long as Stafford and his offensive line are relatively healthy. So LA Rams in a season where everybody wrote you off, I do see you and I appreciate you. Let's wrap things up with a game that I honestly hope you didn't see a lot of, and that is New England falling 21-17 to the Las Vegas Raiders out in Las Vegas. Not a memorable game at all. As we mentioned, a game that Jimmy Garoppolo leaves early with a back injury. The football itself, very mediocre, which you might expect between a 3-3 three and three team and a now 1-5 Patriots team, but the reason it's memorable is because it, it feels like it really crystallizes just how bad it is in New England if it wasn't already evident from the blowout losses to Dallas and New Orleans. This actually a much more competitive game. New England had a shot to win this inside the final two, three minutes. But it, it just says something when you play this sloppy of a game. You lose to a Vegas team, which... No disrespect to the Raiders. They've now won two in a row. But if you can't get a win against Vegas, how many more can you assume are on your schedule? Like, I don't want to freak out and assume the Patriots aren't going to win another game. That's not how the NFL works. We've just talked about teams like the Jets and the Bengals bouncing back from these terrible starts. But consider, if you watched any of this game, a completely uninspiring New England team. And on a, it, it seems like they get worse every week. 259 yards of offense. Mac Jones continuing to play very reckless with the football. Obviously, the, the, the cross field interceptions against Dallas stick out in your memory, but has a really ugly interception in this game against Vegas. Actually, the Patriots allow with Max Crosby's safety at the end of this game, allow the Raiders to top 20 points 
for the first time this season. So again, if this is the type of competition you can't beat, who can you beat? And the Patriots get the Buffalo Bills next. They're at the Dolphins after that. The games aren't played on paper. We did a significant chunk of the show about that, but they are going to have their work cut out for them to avoid a one and seven start, which is just even knowing that the Tom Brady era ended a long time ago. That's hard for me as somebody who grew up on Patriots dominance. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around. This is the first Patriots one. And this is the first time they've started one and five since 1995. So pre Belichick, this is, this could be that with, with the jets getting their act together, this could be the Patriots first seller finish their first last place finish in the division since Belichick's first season, which was 2000 Patriots haven't won fewer than seven games since 2000 when they went five and 11 in bill Belichick's last season. I basically refuse to get up here and try to fire somebody that's won six super bowls. That's not my job, but it's Robert Kraft's job to evaluate how all this is going. And I think for the first time, it's really dawning on me that this, this could be the end. Don't even like saying it out loud. I kind of stuttered over my words, but averaging 12 points per game this season, they don't look like a, a, a prayer of a team that can compete against the NFL's best, which is what you're going to have to do regularly right now playing in the AFC. The Chiefs are still on the schedule. In addition, both Bills games are still on the schedule. At least they've already gotten one of the Miami games out of the way. I know that seasons are long and I know that teams rebound and and find themselves, but it's hard to look at this schedule and see anything other than a losing record and probably a fourth place finish in the division. Seasons are long. Teams regroup. They, they find themselves. I guess we can't rule it out. If anything, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we can play this back during a Dave is dumb montage at the end of the season because I want Bill Belichick to be able to go out on his terms. I think when you've accomplished what he has, I, I think you deserve that, but it gets harder and harder to argue for that the longer this season goes on. So Hoping they can pull out of it, not feeling very good about it, where things stand right now. It'll be interesting to see what Robert Kraft's opinion of all of this is as the season goes. That does it for today's show, but don't you worry. We will be back with the hottest takes tomorrow. Maybe you didn't hear. It's Cowboys Chargers for Monday Night Football. Of course, we are going to be here to react to all of that madness. I don't know what chaos is in store for us when those two teams play, but I'm sure it's going to be hilarious and heartbreaking. Stick around. We do have another episode of Ask Glazer coming up after this. But in the meantime, go follow us on Spotify. Go find us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor. We appreciate the support so much. Guys, I'm Dave. I appreciate it. I will talk to you next time. Welcome back once again to another edition of Ask Glazer. Week six with Wait, Ask so Glazer. So last week you had a tux on. I did. And then sort of. like, what happened to our relationship that you dressed down like this? Well, you're not wearing a coat today. I wore. I wore. But I look good. You do. You look very yeah, good. Really good. I mean, really the, good. I get, I get credit for the kicks. No, I mean, like really good. You do. You look. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe I say really should, good. You did. Okay. Can you recommend me yeah. to your tailor, perhaps? It's a Michael Strahan. Just there gotta you go. go downstairs and find. 
Beautiful. How you doing, sir? Doing good, man. Let's get right to it. It's Ask Glazer. Shoot the questions over. You know the hashtag. I'm curious about this one. A team that are, uh, already played early in week six. What what should Broncos country expect? Hmm. A one in five start. What do you think is coming in the next few weeks? Uh, man, you know, look, I, I thought, you know, originally, I think they looked at it like, okay, Sean Payton's going to come in there and then change the culture the way that he changed the Saints culture. And that clearly hasn't been the case. I think there's a lot of frustration there. And I also think they're expecting more out of Russell Wilson. They've got, obviously, the defense. Uh, before the Kansas City game, wasn't playing well. Kansas City game, they played very well. But, you know, it's you got to look at it also and say, okay, if they're going to build over there, what are they going to build with? And listen, if you're going to get out of that Russell Wilson contract, this is really the year you have to do it after the season. Five days after the league year, they, I think, $37 million of his 2025 contract Oof. becomes guaranteed. So you're tied in after that 37 more in 2025, two years from now. So really, if you're going to move on, you have, it has to be done uh, before the fifth day of the league year, which is like the middle of March. Do you think it's, I mean, and Sean Payton just got there. So many of those guys weren't, you know, he obviously right. didn't bring them in. He's a new coach. Is it realistic to think that they might just start shipping guys off the way people are projecting? No, well, no, they're, they're not looking to just have a fire sale, but if the phones are ringing over there and people want to, yeah, they're going to absolutely, they're certainly going to take the call and, and consider making moves. But Sean's always been, um, he's always been, as far as like trades are concerned, he doesn't just like kind of give guys up for nothing. Sure. He likes value. Speaking of the trade deadline, a team near and dear to my attention span, the Dallas Cowboys, John wants to know, any chance they make a trade this year at the deadline? They've done it in the past. Yep. Not typically super excited to get into trades, but do you see it this year? I, yeah, I mean, they did, did it in the past with Amari Cooper a few exactly. years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm, they're always, Dallas is always, you know, pretty aggressive, especially if they think, okay, we're on the cusp here. We, we need something else. You know, but just in my conversations this week, when I was asking around, hey, who are some of the names we might see? There really wasn't a lot. Yeah, in the past, you knew that, okay, there's, these, these players whose contracts, their last year, their, their deal, these guys would be available. And I, we just didn't see a lot of those kind of marquee names. Yeah. Sean wants to know, which I, I did not anticipate asking you this after a massive Cleveland win. Right. I'll, I'll be honest. said, what's going on with Deshaun Watson? When might we see him back in the starting lineup? So here's the deal. His shoulder injury wasn't a labrum and it wasn't a rotator cuff per se. It was a muscle that's under connected to the rotator cuff, and that muscle prevents you from basically following through on your on your your passes. So, if you're normally throwing, you know, at a hundred percent, I was going to say hundred mile per hour fastball, sure. and now you're throwing eighty mile per hour fastball, and you're their ace, they're not going to put you out there. So that's basically the best analogy I can give. Mm. He's, you know, he's not. There's not the zip on the ball they need for him to have. It's not a pain management thing. Like Deshaun Watson, when it comes to pain, has played through some crazy things. A few years ago, he actually had a punctured lung and some other internal damage, and he couldn't fly with Houston and Jacksonville. So he actually got on a, a bus. I remember took that. Took a bus overnight, right? And late in the night. So he can get there and still play because if he got on the plane, the the pressure on on his lung would be too much. Um, so the guys played through some painful injuries, but if he he's out there and he can't be at 100 percent or 90 percent or barely 80 percent, then it doesn't really make sense to have him out there. Now you also there's no timetable of when that muscle 
is going to kind of let up and, and get himself back to 100%. And I think that's why you, you've seen two, two different reports. One saying he's going to be out a while, one saying he could be playing next week. They have no idea. They have no idea when that muscle is going to, you know, kind of like right now, it's just kind of tighten up around the nerves. You got to figure out when that thing is just going to release. I think the interesting wrinkle, too, is that the Browns have already had their bye week. So yeah. you don't get the benefit of getting a week off. I'll be I curious tell to tell you see. what, too, though, man, that what their defense showed today against the 49ers and what they've shown all along, if they can get anything clicking on offense, they could be dangerous down the stretch, even without having their, their running back in there and Chubb. Absolutely. Let's wrap this up with a question from Dakota. A question I never imagined myself asking, but I think it's fair. With the way things are going for the Patriots this season, do you think, can you imagine Bill Belichick stepping down? Yeah, I could. I could this year, I could absolutely see um, the, a parting of the ways. And you're right. In the past, it looked like, oh, he's going to have carte blanche, whatever he wants. But I think that's coming on. Bob Kraft still wants to win, no matter what. And there's not going to be these, I mean, look, it happened in Philadelphia with Andy Reid. Right? There's not yeah. going to be this thing of, hey, we're just going to thank you for what you've done so you'll have carte blanche forever. When things just aren't clicking, um, I think for both sides, it'd be smart for them to have a part in the ways if they don't click better than this. I mean, it sounds not— That's like Andy retweeted again. Andy went to Kansas City and had a complete—you know, it was a— I don't want to say resurgence because he was doing great in Philadelphia. Philadelphia have one bad leader, and they were right. like, all right, you know, yeah. let's go. Um, but he's doing great in Philadelphia, but yeah, he certainly had a resurgence. So, at, you know, um, Bruce Arians, when he went down to Tampa, right? You, I think it could give him uh, that kind of jolt that that would be good for Bill Belichick right now. It's, it's wild to think about. Yeah. But I mean, to your point, one bad year can get you in trouble. It, it, it'll have been four. Right. It'll have been four, which is an eternity. He's just going to run out of patience. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. That's I can see it this year. Jay Glazer. Well, that, that'll be something worth asking you about as the season, as, the you know, season as we on. move in that direction. But Jay, thank you so much thank for your time brother. as always. I always appreciate it. I look fantastic, by the way. You do. You do.